mentally or physically, success could be defined as getting up one more time after you've been knocked down over and over and over again. I'm T. Wood, and this is Triumphant Moments, where I highlight significant moments in life that are far beyond the surface to inform, encourage, and inspire people to triumph over their life's challenges. With me today, I have President Dr. Larry Robinson. He is originally from Tennessee. He is currently the 12th president of Florida, excuse me, the Florida A&M University. He holds a bachelor's degree in chemistry from Memphis State University, which is now the University of Memphis, and a PhD in nuclear chemistry from Washington University in St. Louis, Missouri. Dr. Robinson's career has been expansive with more than 35, year, 35 years as a researcher. Scientific advisor, serving in several leadership capacities at FAMU and within the federal government, including as a congressionally confirmed appointee under the Obama administration. Dr. Robinson is highly regarded, but what stands out the most is his genuine care and love for individuals and how he leads them. Dr. Robinson, welcome, welcome. Welcome. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having me, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, before we just jump right into it, um, and, I, and I like to ask this because technically there can't be a normal day for you. So Monday through Friday in, 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 the, in the mornings, what does that look like? Is it some push-ups? Is it, some, is it a red jump, coffee? What does it look like in the mo- your mornings? So, so I do a few calisthenics in the morning, and, and I generally run a little bit in the afternoons, you know, when I can't get it in in the morning. So there's some regularity to my day. But once I come to FAMU, right, <laughs> all that's out of the window, Whew. and the fun starts, right? Gone. Yes. <laughs> everything, that's when everything pretty much kicks into gear. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. I tell you what, how would you describe your household uh, growing up, like as far as your siblings, brothers, sisters? Mm-hmm. So, so, yeah, so, you know, first of all, I, I want the people out there listening to know this, this one thing, because there's a misconception that people have about, People like me, certainly in my case, you know, the fact that I have a PhD, that there are those who think that, you know, I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth. Came from a nuclear, I'm a nuclear chemist, but I didn't come from, from a nuclear family. Yes, you know, my, my mother, a single parent, raised six of us, right? Three boys and, and three girls, right? Yes, and we had the love and support of grandparents and aunts and uncles and all of those wonderful people. And we grew up that time in, in a, a life in the neighborhood when, you know, you get smacked upside the head by anybody Shh, if they saw you out of line. But, but in terms of my home upbringing, it's, it's not that picturesque ideal version that some people have, in particular to the students of FAMU. You know, I come from very humble beginnings. Yes, First generation, had an older brother and sister in school, uh, just ahead of me a few years. Um, but we were the first in our family to attend college, right? And, and, and when I started school, I couldn't even spell PhD. Come on, okay. <laughs> Come on, God. <laughs> it took me a while to understand what that was really all about. So I say to every student here, you know, uh, there's no limit, right? right? There's no challenge you can't overcome. Because in that household, with, with six of us fighting over that one chicken wing sometimes, <laughs> you, can imagine, you, you can imagine what kind of battle that was. But, but anyway, uh, it, it, was, it was a... A life full of, of love, right? Yes, sir. Compassion and and high expectations, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
my grandmother who passed away before I had a chance to start school. Wow. You know, she worked as a domestic, right? And uh, she worked for these doctors. And I remember her speaking a lot about Miss Nancy, Miss Nancy. And um, one day, you know, they brought her home from the suburbs and um, to drop her off. Most of the time she rode the bus. And one of my jobs was to go and meet her at the bus stop, you know, at that time of the year right. when it was dark, and, and most of the time it was it was dark. And one time it was so dark, they had a party that they they brought her home, and I came out to the car to to, to meet her and help her with her package, and uh, she introduced me to Miss Nancy. Miss Nancy was probably a kid, a young lady, about seven or eight years old. <laughs> Come on. So, and so wow. that's, that's the kind of environment that... I grew up in, but but my grandmother had a vision that that we would all go to school, go to college, um, because she saw um, a, a brighter future for us than she experienced for herself. Wow. And my mother, uh, by the way, as I said, single mother, six uh, siblings total, and um, you know, my job, one of my jobs in undergrad was to take her to work every morning at four o'clock in the morning because she was a baker and you know in those days you know the bakeries cooked for everybody and then they distributed the products out to the stores and so forth but I in my freshman and sophomore year of undergrad um, it was my job to get her to work at four o'clock in the morning. That's a heck of a responsibility wouldn't you say? It, it was but you know at the same time I had the car my older brother and older sister had served their turn, so it was my turn. <laughs> so I did it with, without any, you know, hesitation, right, at all, you know. I remember uh, trying to think of reading an article before where you've expressed uh, how your mother and grandparents pretty much encouraged you mm -hmm. uh, constantly to pursue, mm -hmm. you know, your dreams. You mm -hmm. know, can you talk about how they, you know, had a heavy influence on your life? Oh, yeah. So I'll tell you this one story that kind of puts it all in sort of in a nutshell. Um, when I was in middle school, yes, right, um, you know, growing up in Memphis, Tennessee, you know, everybody, you know, basketball was king, right? And everybody, you know, wanted to be the next great thing in basketball, right? And so I decided to go out for basketball practice at Lincoln Junior High School, right? Okay. And I pretty much had made the team, at least in my mind. You know, we were down to pretty much, Doc. No, well, we were down to whether or not who was going to be in the starting five in the second team and all of that, right? Okay. And so I made a, a little jump shot in this scrimmage, and you know, I, I you know looked over to the bleachers, the sidelines, to make sure that the coach saw that, right? Because it was an Austin jumper, right? Although it was probably only about four or five feet for the basket. And, and when I looked over there, that sat my mother and the band director. And as a result, my basketball career ended right then and there. Gone. Because I had been skipping band practice <laughs> to oh, go for the team. And, nah. the, and the band director had ratted me out. In, in my mother's mind, you know, athletics was a wonderful thing. But she had bigger plans for me Clearly. in her mind. <laughs> so, Clearly. <laughs> so that's a story I'll never forget, right? Clearly. So, you know, it amongst the, and if I'm hearing you right, you were not the youngest of the siblings. Were you in the middle? I'm trying I, to sure. I was the third child, so there's no middle than six, but but I was well, the third from the oldest, right? Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now with siblings, sometimes uh, the older sibling is expected for the older sibling to be pretty much the boss. Mm -hmm. You know. 
they, you know, everybody else, y'all listen because I'm old enough. Mm-hmm. You know, is that the case? Y'all yeah, that was that was the case. <laughs> and the biggest boss, although she was the oldest, oldest, my oldest sister was a couple of years or so older than me. My older brother, about three years or so older than me, maybe four. But my older sister, she was the boss, right? You did not mess with her, right? And, um, you know, thanks to her, you know, I, I got to and from school because she she had this uh, stick shift Volkswagen that, you know, I would sometimes drive, but she would drive most of the time to get me to school. But one day I came out, you know, ready to go to school, and um, said, okay, let's go. She said, and I said, where's the car? And she said, uh, big sister has it. I said, what big sister, right? I, you know the big sister I know about. And so she was actually pledging at the time. <laughs> and, oh. and the fraternity sisters had taken the car. So I had to take a bus to school. I, I was late for an exam and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, she was really, you know, uh, a force. Uh, in my life, and and uh, unfortunately, my older brother he, he passed away a few years back, as well as my younger brother, uh, younger sister. I lost this year, so it's only three of us left. My older sister and a, and a younger sister left. But in, in terms of who was the boss, yes, right? It, it was my older sister. She led, <laughs> she led the way. Yeah. Now you started your college. You started your college education as a researcher. What or who influenced you to make the transition to being the gifted organizational leader you are today? I don't know about the gifted part, right? Oh. I mean, that that's debatable. <laughs> um, but but I'm going to tell you, um, the, the transition started, you know, really at FAMU because um, I spent 12 years at Oak Ridge National Laboratory. I was employed by Lockheed Martin at the time. In fact, I had been... In 1995, prior to being on FAMU's payroll, I was a courtesy um, adjunct professor that helped FAMU to launch what is now the School of the Environment. So I got a chance to see FAMU up close and personal. But the real model for me in terms of academic leadership and management was a gentleman by the name of Frederick S. Humphreys. Right? In fact, it was Dr. Humphreys who, who re- recruited me here right, to this institution uh, formally in 1997 when I came initially as the director of the Environmental Sciences Institute. And so what I wanted to work on at FAMU is, you know, because in the corporate sector, in particular in STEM, science, engineering, and mathematics, technology, uh, there, are, there are a lot of excuses often made about why they couldn't find you know, qualified folks and so forth. And my response to that had always been, it's probably because you're not looking in the right place, Mm -hmm. right? So I spent a lot of time on the outside, you know, pulling, right, trying to convince folks that um, there were a number of people out there that if you went to them at the right time, you have an opportunity to bring them into the world of work, as opposed to waiting until you get all the good jobs filled, and then you go after that African-American and say, okay, here's a job, take that one. doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. The best and the brightest expect to be paid and given the same type of opportunities as anybody else, regardless of their color. The opportunity that FAMU presented me, however, was to work on this we can't find, 
mm-hmm. issue. And so I, I thought I would go out here and contribute to what was already going on. We knew that there were lots of folks out there, but but perhaps there weren't enough, mm-hmm. and perhaps there still isn't enough. However, FAMU it has done some remarkable things in the HBCU community as well in producing outstanding graduates in all fields, right? right. Uh, STEM in particular, if you look at where the, you know, uh, the, one of the largest percentages of African-Americans who go on to get PhDs in yeah. science and engineering and mathematics, guess where they start from, right? right. Somebody's historically black college or university. And by the way, the only thing I take offense at in this introduction is that you did not mention that I started my academic career at Lamorne Owen College in Memphis, Tennessee. So if you see my vita, it's going to say attended Lamorne Owen College. I was there for a year. Then I transferred across town to what is now the University of Memphis, right? But but the reason I believe I'm successful, yes, there are a lot of factors. But but once I came to fa- to um, to Lamont on similar to what students experience here, everybody was encouraging me to go on to that next level. You know, you showed any inkling of you know capacity or interest, you got pushed. Right. The biggest challenge I had at Lamont on was convincing people that I didn't want to be a doctor, right? I wanted to do science and research. I didn't want to be a doctor, but everybody was encouraging you. Kind of a different experience when I transferred across town. Uh, It wasn't the same type of thing, right? The expectation changed. Mm -hmm. The question was then, why do you, or what makes you think you can be, right? That's what I'm talking about. And the difference at at FAMU and at Lamont On Mm -hmm. is that you got to be successful, right? Because our whole community's success is riding on your success, right? We're not just talking about another person out there to help satisfy a diversity initiative, right? It's a person trying to solve a problem that is critical to the communities that we serve. Absolutely. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's, I, I keep trying, people tend to try to, they wonder, okay, this uh, particular college that it ha- doesn't have minorities that necessarily look like us has this high level of prestigiousness. This is the better college to go to, but people just don't understand the love, the encouragement, and that support that you get at an HBC. Exactly, and that's so so important, right? We tell our students and our parents, you know, in countless, you know, recruitment fairs and orientation programs, um, you don't have to waste your time and energy mm-hmm. over convincing us that you have the innate ability to be tell anything them. that you want to be, right? Tell them. Um, that's a lot of wasted energy, yes. right? Yes. Psychological stress. You know that. That's mm-hmm. your profession, right? Yes. It's hard enough if you want to be an engineer or a scientist or a journalist as it is. And then when you're trying to fight somebody who's telling you that you can't or shouldn't be doing it, that, that, that makes it incredibly difficult, right? And mm-hmm. so uh, at FAMU, you know, we expect you to be successful. success. Right. We need you to be a success. Because we know the world isn't going to be right without you in it. Right. Mm-hmm. See, with that type of backing, you really have no choice but to press forward. Right. Uh, and I tend to believe that in life, and I was told this by my mother, um, that just in life in general, mm-hmm. as we continue to live, just keep living, 
you're going to experience some ups and downs. Oh, yeah. It's a given. Mm-hmm. When you wake up in the morning, you breathe, you're going to go through some ups and downs. With that being said, can you think back to anything in your life that you might have either had to overcome that was very challenging to deal with or either happened and you found a way to cope with it and still continue to press forward? Oh, man, I have a whole bag of those. But, but let me tell you one that, that kind of stands out because... This is really was 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 around the critical matter of matter of whether I would stay in college or not. So mm-hmm. so my mother, as I said, you know, she worked hard, stood on hardwood concrete floors uh, for years at that bakery to the point that her body just broke down, right? And and so she had to get, you know, well, I don't know, sick leave was the right word, but but. She couldn't work anymore, and so we had to sue, basically, uh, the federal government to get her Social Security benefits. Now, in the meantime, you know, my job was to getting her around to physical therapy and all of those places to make the case right. that she that she did, was deserving of it because she was less, she was younger than sixty-five, whatever the retirement age was, right. and she was an African American, and so you know, we have all these hoops we had to jump That's through, and so. Um, at one point in that process, I said, well, it may be time for me to give up this academic pursuit and pursue another route in order to help support my mother and, and the rest of the family. And so at one point, I had considered, you know, and in fact, I came very close uh, to joining the Navy, right? Um, really? Yeah, so I went down to the recruitment office. I, you know, they, they have these sort of, I guess IQ type test you take and all of that. Okay. And so and I took the thing and didn't pay much attention to it. And then I came home from school one day. My mother would get off work in the day. Um, and um, when I came home, she was sitting there with two naval officers from the recruitment facility, right? Apparently my scores were, were high enough that it warranted that level of attention, attention, right? Okay. And so... I, I And then, of course, the Navy had something that I was interested in because, you know, I had this interest in nuclear science even then. Wow. And, you know, they, they did have, you know, uh, the nuclear Navy, you know, because a lot of the ships and submarines were nuclear powered. And, and so that was a connection there. Uh, I almost signed up. In fact, I went in to uh, the enlistment ceremony one Saturday morning and um uh, you know, something happened in that meeting, you know, by the grace of God that said this might not be the right option for you. Even and though everything was lined up for you to do it? Everything was lined up, and and I, you know, I, I wish I could tell you the whole story uh, in this time that we have, but, but that morning I decided not to do it, and, you know, through God's grace, within, you know, a short period of time, the courts or judge whomever ruled in my mother's favor she was allowed to get you know her disability back pay for the time that we spent arguing about it going from doctor to doctor and court to court and and I was able to stay in school um and so the 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 lesson there is is that you know every everybody's going to face an obstacle that sometimes seems insurmountable um but, you know, if you have faith, right, 
and persistence, uh, you're going to get through that, right? So I want every student at FAMU to know that, you know, none of us got through this place without some challenges, right? I mean, if, if I had to tell you the number of times I woke up trying to figure out, well, where is the next meal coming yes. from, right? Come on. <laughs> you Come know? on. Uh, but you can't give up, right? you got to make a commitment to it. And, and there's a brighter future on the other side of it. But don't think you're alone. You know, I, I bet back in those days and perhaps even now, I could have used some mental health counseling because, you know, it's not usual for, for anyone, a student in particular, to have to carry that burden. But so many of us have. Yes. Right? And so many are still carrying that. Right. Even in 2021, we have... A third of our students are like me, first generation. Right. Ain't nobody at home to go to about that tough, you know, chemistry test or that, you know, that paper or those papers right. they have to write in journalism and so forth. And and now FAMU or wherever you are right. has to provide, fill that void. And so we've done that well at FAMU. We become those surrogate parents for those students right. who cool. need that additional, additional nurturing. And so I, I say to any parent out there, African-American in particular, uh, but our doors are open for everyone, right? They've never been closed to anyone by our doing. Right. Um, but if you are an African-American parent in 2021, knowing all that we know about the success of these 104, 105 institutions we call HBCUs, if you don't give serious consideration mm -hmm. to sending your son or daughter nieces and nephews and grandchildren to one of these places, uh, that's irresponsible. Mm. There are a lot of places out there that are recruiting the best and the brightest students, and, and they've done that for years. It's not that they won't be successful at those places. I am proud to have graduated from those other institutions, right? But it helps to tell a story. But I use what I learned there to come back and enhance the lives of the students, faculty, here at Florida and m University, you know. Mm -hmm. My followers, I need y'all to understand something. I have to point out what Dr. Robinson just said. Look, it, it relates to how sometimes in life you have to use what you've been through in order to conquer what you're going through. And that is something that stands strong. Mm -hmm. It really stands strong. Uh, Dr. Robinson, you're just sitting here uh, approaching the end here, but I wanted to point this out. No matter if it's something that we've talked about before or if it's something that you might have learned growing up, there's something that I call encouragement for free. Mm -hmm. Can you think of something that you could leave with all of our followers who are going to watch this that's some encouragement for free no matter what it is? Mm -hmm. So, so I think you have to believe that um, as important as we all think we are in the world, there's something bigger than us. Mm -hmm. and, and, and every successful person uh, that I know had a belief in something bigger than themselves. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you who that is or what that is, but you have to look at it from that perspective. We don't come to these places just to serve ourselves, right? We are part of a of a mission that we don't even control. But understanding that your service is bigger than the paycheck you might get or your immediate family, you have to take care of those things. But you have to recognize that you're part of something bigger than yourself. And you owe yourself and, and all of those who are depending upon you uh, to give it your best shot, right? D don't quit. 
you know, you might get discouraged, but get over it as quickly as possible because there's a brighter future on the other side of it. I can promise you that. That pretty much sums it up. That pretty much sums it up. Uh, Dr. Robinson, first and foremost, I want to thank you for taking our time in your busy day. It is around homecoming right now. It is homecoming. So (laughs) I want to thank you for taking our time in your busy day to come here on my podcast, uh, Triumphant Moments with T. Wood. I'm grateful, I'm grateful, I'm grateful for that. Thank you, T., and thank you for doing this. You're doing your great service to the world as well through this. So thank you so much. Thank you, Doc. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I said before, I'll say it again. Sometimes in life, you must fail in order to succeed. But one thing must remain certain. Under no circumstances do you ever, ever, ever give up. It's Trying for Most with T. Wood. I'm with one of the greatest leaders of our time, President Dr. Robinson. Thank you, sir. Boom. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's a wrap.